The rail line near Qingshui Tunnel reopened for service on Monday, two weeks after it was wrecked by a train accident that killed 49 people. Transport Minister Lin Jialong, who tendered his resignation after the crash, is due to step down on Tuesday. On his last day in office, Lin boarded the first train out to Qingshui Tunnel to perform the final inspection of his tenure. The transport minister bows deeply before the cameras. It was a gesture of respect to the bereaved government personnel and journalists on his last day in office. Lin, joined by his deputy, boarded the first train from Ilan to Qingshui Tunnel on the newly cleared East Main Line. Throughout the inspection tour, he remained on alert by the window, monitoring the condition of the restored train line. When the train arrived at the site of the crash between Heren and Chongde, the atmosphere in the car turned somber. The passengers fell silent as the train moved through Qingshui Tunnel. For Lin, this final trip of his tenure was part inspection, part memorial. Today is my last day on the job. Now that the follow-up work has come to a pause, I am handing it over to the new transport minister, who I hope can have a new, better start. I am putting down the stone that is in my heart, and it does feel like a great relief. In resigning, I am not only shouldering political responsibility, but staying true to my conscience so that I can hold up my head in society. In one of his final directors as transport minister, Lin ordered trains to slow down to 40 kilometers per hour when passing the area of the derailment over the next two months. On Monday, his work with victims' families will continue after his resignation. During my tenure, a victim's liaison officer and a task force were appointed to protect the crash victims' rights. I myself, as a volunteer, will continue to offer my care and my company to the victims. After the inspection, Lin greeted locals at a temple and a church in Hualien. And with that, his time as transport minister came to an end, leaving the door open for a widely speculated run for Taizhong mayor. Staying on the transport minister, Lin Jialong will be succeeded by his deputy Wang Guocai, who will be replaced by Railway Bureau Director General Alan Hu. The shuffle was announced by the Executive Yuan on Monday. The transport ministry wants comprehensive reform for the TRA. This means reform in operational safety, finances and staff stability. Then, after that, there are three goals to achieve. There should be enough trains, enough tickets and service should be safe and punctual. The 52-year-old Wang was appointed political deputy minister of the transport ministry in May 2016. Since then, he served under three transport ministers. He's played a mediating role in tricky situations, including the China Airlines pilot strike and the Eva Air flight attendant strike. He's said to have taken on a variety of duties and proven himself as highly capable. Two earthquakes struck Hualien Sunday night three minutes apart, measuring magnitude 5.8 and 6.2. In Hualien, pools sloshed and Chandeliers rocked as the shaking frightened locals. So far, no injuries from either earthquake have been reported. The Central Weather Bureau warns that Taiwan could experience aftershocks of magnitude 5 or higher in the next three days. A light fixture swings wildly from the ceiling. Late at night on Sunday, all of Taiwan felt the earth shake. A local shared footage of bathwater turning into a tsunami. This shrimp fishing pool in Hualien also shook violently. On the evening of April 19th, two earthquakes struck Hualien in rapid succession. The first measured magnitude 5.8 and the second 6.2.
I got scared. I thought that the first one wasn't too bad, so I didn't run out. But the second time, I felt like something was wrong. I got very dizzy. These hotel guests rushed to leave the building when the first tumbler struck, only to be surprised with another stronger quake. I clutched my purse and grabbed my room key and hurried to find my friend next door. Just as we were about to escape, the shaking started up again, the shaking from the second earthquake. Rockfalls were reported at Provincial Highway 11 in Fengbing Township and an eastern section of the Central Cross Island Highway with no injuries and damage reported. The second quake's intensity was worst in Hualien, measuring six on a seven-tier scale. In ten other cities and counties, it measured four on the intensity scale. Although the report states that the main shock was magnitude 6.2, it was actually closer to 6.3. This main shock is the second earthquake this year that's measured above magnitude 6. As for the aftershocks, most of them came in around magnitude 3. There were 32 aftershocks in total. The CWB Seismological Center says the first quake was a foreshock and the second the main shock. The public is advised that aftershocks of magnitude 5 or higher could strike in the next three days. Four years ago, when scientists announced that Mount Dutton was an active volcano system, they said there was a magma chamber 20 kilometers underground. Now they found molten rock even closer to the surface at 8 kilometers underground. According to the Academia Seneca, it lies right below New Taipei's Wanli and Jinsan, with an area the size of Beitou District. The bottom of the magma reservoir is about 8 kilometers below the water level. The shape is roughly that of a milk jug. Its diameter, the diameter of the milk jug, is roughly 8 kilometers. Its height is roughly 12 kilometers. At Qixingshan and Daiyoukeng, there have been studies done that give us a sense of the potential point of eruption. Actually, in the last two years or so, we discovered that over at Mount Huangzui, toward the east, there's a bit of seismic activity below, underground. If the Datin volcano group erupts on the south side, Tiamu and Beitou would be the first to feel the impact. If it erupts on the north side, the lava could reach Jingsan. But scientists say don't panic just yet because eruptions can be predicted, and a system is in place to detect the precursors and to issue timely disaster alerts. With climate change worsening and the EU planning a carbon tax on imports, Taiwan is racing to develop ways to lower carbon emissions. On Monday, the Industrial Technology Research Institute held a forum to explore strategies for Taiwan's green transformation. Solar panels cover the building, blending nature with high-tech. This is Eatree's Shaolin Smart Green Energy Science City, which is leading a green revolution in the industrial chain. In the face of extreme climate threats, countries the world over have set targets for cutting their carbon emissions. To help Taiwan stay competitive, Eatree organized a forum with the Ministry of Economic Affairs and industry representatives to discuss the next steps toward lower emissions. 
We have to get firms to approach this from a vertical perspective. Can we reduce carbon emissions in the production process, from raw materials to production to end product? Is there any way to use CCUS in this process? Can we reuse that captured carbon and so on? This is something we need to work toward in the industrial sector. Regarding our equipment, regarding their electricity consumption and use of lubricating oil, we have done a great deal to lower our carbon emissions. I think that doing so is more than a social responsibility. It is bound up with the company's future development and its future competitiveness. Last month, eTree set up a first-of-its-kind net zero and sustainability strategy office in response to 128 countries pledging to go carbon neutral by 2050. The EU plans to impose a carbon border levy on certain industrial imports by 2023. Before that happens, the office will help Taiwanese industries upgrade their technologies to emit less CO2. The government, too, has a strategy for lowering emissions. We'll push zero carbon and low carbon energy because electricity generation is currently our main source of carbon emission. Secondly, we'll push for emissions reduction in the manufacturing process. Key sectors we'll target include steel, concrete and petrochemicals. Meanwhile, we must accelerate the adoption of the circular economy. Working together, business, government and academia are building a new industrial paradigm using new tech to cut carbon and to raise Taiwan's profile on the international stage. With no relief in sight for the ongoing drought, the nation's oil refiner CPC Corporation has stepped in to drill for water in Taichung. CPC brought out its heavy-duty drilling rig to a spot near the Yutan water purification plant. According to CPC's drilling engineering team, the principle for drilling a water well is similar to that for drilling an oil well. In Taiwan, oil wells have to be drilled to a depth of two to 3,000 meters. Water wells, on the other hand, require a depth of just 350 meters, which can be easily reached by CPC's drilling rig. The three wells that were drilled are expected to produce 15,000 tons of water a day, providing a new water source for more than 60,000 people. Bookings are going fast for self-paid COVID-19 vaccines. 10,000 doses will be made available to 5,000 non-priority individuals starting Wednesday. On Monday, the first day of registration, all 120 appointments for Wednesday and Friday were booked. National Taiwan University Hospital said that all of its 540 slots for the next two weeks were filled in two hours. Taipei's Mackay Memorial Hospital says almost 700 people have signed up to get inoculated from Wednesday to Saturday. The Central Epidemic Command Center says that due to the high demand, it will evaluate the release of more vaccines to non-priority groups. With the pandemic still raging, people around the world have been spending more of their time online. For children, this rise in screen time has made them more vulnerable to cyberbullying, sexual exploitation and other risks that lurk online. What are some ways that parents can protect their children from predators on the Internet? From us, the news reporter Stephanie Yang gets some tips from the experts. As more and more activities have been shifted online due to the pandemic, children are faced with increased risks of online safety. The information superhighway that is the internet has made it easier than ever to make connections and communicate. But the internet can also open up a world of risk. According to the Ministry of Health and Welfare, authorities handled 909 cases of sexual exploitation in 2020. 
More than 554 of those, or 60 percent, involved the use of the internet as a tool for exploitation. Over the past two years, due to the pandemic, many cities have gone under lockdown. That's increased the time that many children spend on the internet. Over the years, we've seen children face big risks when they go online. Risks like internet luring, sexual extortion, cyberbullying, and personal data leakage. According to a survey conducted by Google, 41 percent of Taiwanese parents are aware of the internet security risks their children may face during the pandemic. However, only 22 percent of Taiwanese parents say they use safety settings to protect their child on the internet. That's lower than the average of 52 percent of parents in the Asia-Pacific region. The survey notes that the percentage of parents in Taiwan who use safety settings is relatively low. Our interpretation is that, on the one hand, Taiwan's COVID control has been relatively good and fewer schools have switched to online learning. So parents may feel more at ease and so they don't use those settings. Another observation of ours is that these safety settings are a relatively new feature and parents may not have paid special attention to the rollout of these new features. To combat online child exploitation, Google has unveiled new tools such as YouTube Kids, an independent streaming video service designed for parents and children. The app provides services such as filtering of videos deemed inappropriate for children aged 3 to 12 years old and parental control features. There's also Family Link, a central account that parents can use to set up child accounts for their kids to help them find suitable content, manage their app downloads, and control device usage time. In addition, Google has formed various policies to prevent, remove, and report inappropriate content for their children. In 2020, Google disabled more than 170,000 accounts that violated the child sexual abuse content policy and removed more than 540,000 child sexual abuse content URLs from the Google search index. Across Google and YouTube, we have been trying very hard to uh, combat what has been called uh, child sexual abuse accountants. Uh, we try our best to remove these content whenever they were reported to us. And we also developed tools uh, and um, both uh, human reviews and uh, machine learning tools to detect and remove these uh, kind of material from our products. Since 2019, Google and ECPAT Taiwan have organized seminars to educate teachers on how to integrate cybersecurity into their teaching. So far, more than 500 elementary schools and more than 1,000 teachers from 20 counties and cities across Taiwan have participated. This year, there will be six courses to help teachers integrate the concepts of cybersecurity into their classrooms. Classes on uh, it's online courses and we will provide a link for registration and it's free for uh, every teachers who would like to uh, join. The training is about child online safety and uh, sexual exploitation of children online. Uh, we, 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 uh, we think, we figure that um, to empower teachers to have the ability and capacity to uh, teach children how to surf on internet uh, safe, safe uh, is uh, very important. The classes will be held on May 12th, May 26th and June 9th. Interested teachers can sign up online. In the future, Google and ECPAT Taiwan hope to expand these courses to parents. For Mosa News, Stephanie Yang, Li Qi in Taipei. A new series of souvenirs from the National Theater and Concert Hall is causing quite a stir. The miniature cakes shaped like mythical beasts are delighting sweets lovers. Each cake is modeled on one of the creatures on the famous building's roofs, including phoenixes, dragons, and celestial horses. The 
This cook expertly pours dough into a mold before baking the little cakes to perfection. These little golden creatures are based on the mythical beasts that line the famous roofs of the National Theatre and Concert Hall. They've been reproduced to scale in cake form, with all of their magic intact. They're almost as detailed as little porcelain figurines and are selling like, well, hotcakes. Each one has its own symbolism. The immortal riding on a phoenix represents turning an unfortunate event into a blessing. The dragon expresses power. The lion symbolizes fierceness and dignity. The celestial horse represents wild freedom. The last cake is a miniature national concert hall. All six introduce visitors to details of the architecture that they may never have looked at before. When we held a market event, many visitors saw the porcelain figurine of a celestial and a mythical beast and asked if it was a cake. Then we evaluated it and realized a cake is an item of daily life for people, and we at the National Theatre and Concert Hall want to come closer to folks' everyday life. At the moment, we're promoting communion, the idea that this is a theatre for everyone. We want everyone to be able to come to the National Theatre and Concert Hall. The Arts Administration wants to bring art closer into everyday life, and what better way than to bring the art of its own buildings into our picnics? Now, what's your favorite type of seafood? Oysters, squid, or shrimp? If you can't choose just one, that's okay. Let's visit a Taipei street vendor that sells a mean bowl of noodles with not one, but four tasty toppings. Chitterlings, fresh oysters, five-hole white-leg shrimp, and ponku squid. With noodles throughout the cod-based soup, every mouthful is a taste sensation. The chef stirs the noodle and soup mixture constantly, allowing the noodles to absorb maximum liquid. The soup itself is made to a unique and secret recipe. Our noodles have a pretty strong floury taste, so we use a rather special method to get rid of that floweriness. Stirring the noodles distributes them more evenly and makes them softer. Meanwhile, the seafood toppings must all be cooked separately. Cooking on high heat means they keep a fresh and sweet flavor. We use the highest heat so the fresh flavor is locked immediately into the seafood. The amber-colored noodles are topped with squid, oysters, chitterling stewed for an hour, and finally the cherry on the cake, white leg shrimp. Someone in my family decided to retire and asked if I would like to come back and take the business over. I thought this is a really great traditional dish, and so we came back to take it on. That's how these two brothers became owners of the old stall. Since then, they've added their own creative innovations, keeping the tradition of noodles alive. 